One of the toughest moments as an adult has got to be the first time you realize that no one's coming to save you. Remember that moment? No one's coming to save you. And that moment doesn't occur just once. It happened to me two weeks ago. I'm going on week three with this cold. I'm feeling much better than last week and much, much better than the week before. I almost went to the hospital after Sunday three weeks ago. I was just so destroyed after preaching twice. But more important than me was my little daughter Zoe, who just finished her run as Annie with RCMPI here in the city, and she had the same cold. And so we were living in fear. We were like, oh, Lord, if this little girl has rehearsed for months and months and months and months and then can't sing, that'll be the disaster to end all disasters. And so we did everything we could to help her heal. And so Nick was at school the one Tuesday, and so I was home, and I was sick as a dog. I'm talking so sick, I could hardly see straight. And there's my little girl also sick on the couch. And so I kind of fumbled my way through making tea for her and making toast for her and getting the medicine for her. And I had that moment of self-pity where I thought, no one's coming to save me. Where is my mummy when I need her? <clears throat> Maybe it happened to you the first time you had to pay bills. I'll never forget my first cellular phone bill. I'm part of the generation that was the first generation to have cell phones as part of their daily routine, and I will never forget my first Rogers bill. I think it was $700. This is back in 1993, 1993. My dad just shrugged his shoulders and was like, deal with it. No one's coming to save me. I was thinking they should change our home ec curriculum that we deal with in high school. There should be an entire semester under the title, Nobody Cares, (laughs) and how to deal with it. Nobody cares about your problems. They're too busy dealing with their own problems. The world is a cold, hard place. For all intents and purposes, you are all alone in the world in our mechanized, commercialized, automated, twisted Western consumer culture has a hundred or perhaps a thousand products or services they are willing to give you with which you can change your life at a price, of course. But um, turns out Isaiah 53 has a, a better idea. Because somebody already paid the price. Yes, I went back to the New King James for this one. This is my Bible from when I was 16. It's destroyed like me, but my faith remains strong. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender shoot. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised 
for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. We have turned everyone to her own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of My people He was stricken, and they made His grave with the wicked, but with the rich at His death. Because He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in His mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he has borne the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Was there a betting pool going to see if I could get through that without breaking down? I almost lost it there in the middle. So as you listen to Isaiah 53, one of the most epic chapters in all of Scripture, If your first reaction is, yeah, that sounds too good to be true, don't worry about it. If you had that little ugly seed show up in your heart, that sounds too good to be true. Know that God himself, speaking through the author, anticipated that question 2,500 years ago when he caused these words to be written. Verse 1, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom has the arm of the Lord been outstretched? Despite your doubts, despite your baggage, despite your disappointments, despite the betrayals that you have suffered, God is asking you this morning, will you still believe? Who has believed our report? In my notes, the first thing I wrote was, I will! I will! Will you? Who has believed our Report. I want you to ask yourself this question this week. What would it look like for me to live in belief moving forward? What would it look like for me to live in belief? Because the message of Isaiah 53 is not just for Isaiah and it's not just for his original audience, the Jewish people captive in Babylon, but it is for you, we read it last week. The Lord has bared his arm before the eyes of all the nations, Isaiah 52:10. It's a powerful reminder here that God's show of strength in creation, in redemption, and in restoration is for you. It's for you. Last time I checked, you are part of all the nations. And so the arm that the Lord has bared, the show of strength that he has put forth is for you, friend. He did it for you. So if it sounds 
too good to be true. If it sounds impossible, I'm here as your preacher this morning to tell you that it is not impossible. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And we all know that nothing grows in dry ground, right? Nothing grows in dry ground except when it comes to Jesus. (laughs) For he shall grow up as a tender plant shoot and as a root out of dry ground. And in the Hebrew, dry is thirsty. Jesus grows in impossible places like your thirsty heart. Receive it by faith, friend. He grows in impossible places like your thirsty heart. You may feel, you may have felt, you may feel at some point in the future that you are too dry for God's love to reach you. Isaiah 53 says to you, Not so. And so stop disqualifying yourself. This journey of faith, this walk with Jesus, this life in His salvation is no beauty contest. You are not the runner-up. And neither is He. You ever feel like the runner-up? Like you're always in second place? Like you never win? It's not a beauty contest. You're not the runner-up. Neither is he. Look at the second half of verse 2. It's beautiful. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus is a very different kind of king. When you read the Old Testament accounts of the kings of Judah, they're always described as beautiful. King Saul was chosen almost because of his beauty. Tall, impressive, nice-looking. Even King David, though apparently he was short, was known as beautiful to look upon. And you see this in other accounts in the ancient Near East when they describe their kings, when they describe their queens, they are always described as beautiful, glorious to look upon, as if by their looks alone they should draw people unto themselves. Not so the king of glory. There's nothing about Jesus that is designed to razzle, dazzle, or sell, or impress you. Instead, Jesus came simply to carry your sickness. He's not a beauty queen. He is a beast of burden. Look at verses 3 through 5. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Here's the beast of burden part right here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It's important for you to look upon the right Jesus here this morning. The real Jesus is no strong man. He is no autocratic dictator. Instead, He is the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. The Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And paradoxically, this is why people hate Him. Verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And I'll tell you why people hate Jesus. People hate Jesus because His sinless life, His death, and His Resurrection declares to them that they are in need of propitiation. What is 
Propitiation, here's the definition. Propitiation, to regain favor or goodwill, to bring to a state of peace. If you've spent any time with any normal human beings, you know that the last thing any normal human being wants to do is admit weakness. Admit that they are in need of help. Admit that they cannot, in fact, help themselves. Admit that left to their own devices, they are helpless Hopeless, bereft, and alone. Nobody likes to be told that. And the life and works of Jesus, this is what they declare. You're so lost that God the Son Himself had to step in. You're so hopeless that God the Son Himself had to step in. And you may even feel it right now, that reaction. I don't need to regain anything. I've got everything I need. I'm good. You see, the good news of Jesus is offensive because it's bad news first. It's bad news before it's good news. The bad news is you're hopelessly lost. You're a rebel against God. You're an outcast from His friendship and favor because of your unrelenting sinfulness. And this is why your life is so hard and miserable. And this is why the world is so messed up. Because everybody is dealing with the same disease. Just like this cold that I've had for a month that is ripped through half the city of Guelph. It's ripped through half the province of Ontario. It's just like sin. Everybody you know is infected with it. And that is why the world is such a mess. It all started in the Garden of Eden when our first parents, Adam and Eve, screwed it up. God made them, put them in a perfect context, told them to enjoy each other and enjoy His creation, Gave them one clear command. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. Don't touch it. If you even touch it in that moment, you'll die. Perhaps you've heard the story of Genesis. The serpent shows up. Of course, it's figurative of the evil one, figurative of the devil. Shows up. Says to Eve, not surely die. That first seed of doubt is sown in the heart of humankind. God just knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to be like Him, knowing good from evil. He's holding back on you. When she looked upon the tree and saw that it was beautiful, (laughs) that its fruit was good, she took and she ate. And she gave of it to her husband who was with her. And he also ate, and their eyes were opened. And they knew that they were naked. Interesting that shame is the first reaction the day sin shows up in the hearts of humanity. God, of course, knows this has happened, shows up, finds out about it, curses them, banishes them from the garden. From that day to this, humanity's lived in an unrelenting cycle of suffering and pain. I don't know if you know the story of Adam and Eve's first two sons, Cain and Abel. The one kills the other. Murder shows up in the human story within the first, what, four chapters? Sad, man. And that sin and that damnation and that death and that suffering is why nothing ever goes the way you'd hope. And that's why nobody's coming to help. 
But here's the good news. God knew it. God saw it. God stopped it. When in the fullness of time he sent his son, God the Son, to become a man, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and a sinless life, to fully fulfill his Father's will, and to in the fullness of time go to a cross to suffer and die in your place for your sin. But as he hung there, the Lord might lay on him the iniquities of us all and punish him in your place for your sin. So that good man, that God man, that Jesus, bearing the weight of the sin of humanity throughout all time, was banished from the presence of his father and died a sinner's death. They laid him in a tomb the third day he rose again. Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. Defeating the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell in his body. Appeared to his disciples, eating food, hanging out, continued to teach them and to love them. And then ascended right in front of their eyes to the Father's right hand where he sat down in glory. Place where he sits even now interceding for you. Place from which he'll come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will never end a kingdom in which you have a place. My friends, that is the good news. That is the gospel. Verse 4, surely he has borne our sickness. That's what it is in the Hebrew, cholenu. Surely he has borne our sickness. And not he was carried, but he was burdened with our sorrows. He carries your sickness and he's burdened with your sorrows. If Jesus is burdened with your sorrows. Surely you don't have to be. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Surely he has borne our sickness. Surely, here's where we shift the narrative. Here's where we see someone who is coming to help. Friends, you can count on Jesus. Verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. My question to you this morning is this. What's it going to look like for you to look like and live like you're counting on Jesus Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's going to look like this. It's going to look like you're going to stop counting on yourself. It's the most important teachable point from today. To live a life that looks like you're counting on Jesus is to live a life that has no longer placed its hope in itself. You're going to stop counting on yourself. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have turned everyone to her own way. Right there you see the linkage, clear as day. All we like the flock in the Hebrew. I love that better than all we like sheep. I always felt a little weird. All we like sheep. I'm like, but in the Hebrew it's all we like the flock. This is happening to everybody. All we like the flock have gone astray. And what does it mean to go astray? It means to turn to your own way. Hear it, don't miss it. Going astray, being lost, looks like self-actualization. 
And if sorrow is a sickness, and if it's afflicting everyone you know, its cause and its root is the worship of self. The worship of self is the grand delusion of our age. Worship team, you can come join Nikki and I on stage. Not this stage, but your stage. And church, I invite you to uh, lean in here as we work our way through some of the most epic words ever penned about your Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Isaiah 53, verse 7. Yet he opened not his mouth. Then those who had seized Jews led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Mm. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Isaiah 53, verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. 
and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Isaiah 53, verse 9. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Adonai hafatz dakao hechli. And Yahweh desires to crush him and make him sick. Im tasim oshem nafsho 
יראה זרע, יאריך ימים. וחפץ אדוני בידו יצליח. בדעתו יצדיק צדיק, עובדי לרבים, ועונתם הוא יסבול. Someone is coming for you. 